Hello, Great Minds. It's Friday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History as we get ready to celebrate Luke's second birthday special. I'm like trying not to laugh as we get through this because we've been pre-gaming and talking about college and it's just a hoot. So welcome to the show, everyone. Luke is two years old today. Uh, I'm your host, Mr. Jim H, <laughs> otherwise known as Zach Tobacco. And since it's his birthday and he can drink if he wants to, I am joined by our Yinzer with a dangerous topic, Yingling, the <laughs> apple pie patriot himself, shots regular guy, Luke Franchuk. Happy birthday, Luke. How you doing? Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Zach. I'm glad glad uh, to have put in another year with the podcast. Very I can't exciting. It's been two years. I can't. I know. I can't, I can't believe it either. I can't. Believe I mean, it I mean, I, it feels like it's been a lot of work. Uh, I sat down and thought about it one day. Sherry asked me the question: How many pages is like an episode of scripting for a main episode? And I was like, hmm, you know, I don't know. And I was like, well, it used to be like ten. Cortez was ten, and then I'm like, like you know, you throw in like a Marshall. Lincoln, yeah. you're looking at 16, 17. I'm like, well, fuck. <laughs> 18 or uh, what? 15 great minds alone. That's 200 that plus pages. Yeah. And you write out you write out the whole episode, right? I write out, I write out the fuck yous in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luke fucking franchise. <laughs> no, uh, I do, but it, it's a lot. But yes, I mean, you're guest number one. I remember when uh, every now and again, I go back and listen to our first shots together. And it makes me laugh. It wasn't bad. It wasn't it was bad okay. at all. It was Cortez yeah. v. Washington, two people. Don't know what I was thinking, only having two people on, you know. We, and we and uh, I we, picked Washington and you picked Cortez, right? Yes, yes, yep. yes. Hindsight 2020, I wouldn't have done that, but still. Uh, and I think we might have <laughs> talked about this before. But, yeah. So, when was your birthday, Luke? Uh, the 7th. That's right. It was yesterday. Yeah. It We're was recording yesterday. on the 8th. By yes. Friday, it will not have been yesterday. It will not have been yesterday. Almost right. a week ago. Yeah. What's today? Monday. So it was Sunday. Okay, yeah. wow. So, and how old are you, Luke? 32? Uh, this is the 11th anniversary of my 21st birthday. Yes. Okay. I can't do that kind of math, so I think that's 32. <laughs> so we're the same age. You're they tell me younger. it's 32. Yeah. They tell you it's 32, but you don't believe them. Did you do anything special for your birthday? No, I was sick as a dog. Ah, that's right. You were sick. I I don't think I've ever missed a whole week of school, and I missed a whole week of school. Oh, I, my gosh. I went in Thursday morning, which was a huge mistake because yeah. I was back home in bed by noon. Mm -hmm. That was, that was, I was like, I can make it. And I, no, I negative tests included. Uh, we were, we, yeah. I know you yes, said you yes, negative yes. tested. So you didn't yep. go back risking right. uh, lives. Yeah. You know, it just, we have to have the reality check. There are yeah. other diseases other than the COVID 19 there are. Uh, the virus. You know, <laughs> doesn't feel like it hasn't felt like it for a long time. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Still, every time I pick up a paper towel, I'm like, maybe I should use a washcloth. What if we run out? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, should we buy more Clorox wipes, Jack? No, we have 10. Oh, my God. Are you sure? Let's get the 48 rolls of toilet paper. Exactly. I will never go one ply again. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, Luke, what are you drinking today? Some kind of beer from a green bottle. That wouldn't be that controversial beer, would it? I, I believe it is that controversial oh, beer. And I will not say their name because I want to give them an incentive to give us money. <laughs> I'd give anybody an incentive to give us money. <laughs> 
I mean, fuck, we were in the top 100 in Israeli Apple podcast charts. So Is when that- you've made it, you've made it. <laughs> so come on, where's the sponsorship? No, are we having a, a beer from America's oldest brewery in Pottsville, Pennsylvania? I'm enjoying an ice cold traditional yingling lager from America's oldest brewery in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. And it's a good American beer. And if you don't know why, go back and listen to Luke's first birthday special last year at this time on the yeah, history right. of Yingling Brewing, which was, was a delightful right. little chat about everything from beer. It was a fun little chat. It was. We even talked about like FDR and the Great Depression and shit. Uh, it was yeah, and they made ice cream during the uh, Prohibition era. And, yeah. And near beer. Yeah, and near beer. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. A lot of things to go back and listen to. And I'll be sure to post that like I did Sherry's uh, birthday special too. Well... We know what we're drinking. Oh, wait, no, I'm drinking a Red Stripe because that's the beer I had in my fridge. But I've got a Luke-themed shot, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, Luke-themed. Uh, so <laughs> let's, let's get to it. What are we talking about tonight? I'll tell you what we're talking about tonight. We are discussing a throwback to our undergraduate days because Luke couldn't really think of what he wanted to talk about. When he did, I'd say, we can't talk about that because I'm going to talk about it in season three and things could have been wrong. I said, well, what if we just talked about our old days in college and the senior theses, thesis, these of Jesus Christ, uh, our senior thesis statements from our day, undergraduate days at Westminster College, dub C. But first, it's some history. For, oh, Luke, it's your birthday. You want to sing? Oh, no, thank you. But, but thank you for thinking of me. Though. Well, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. So tonight we discuss a blast from our mutual past. I don't exactly know what Luke's topic was, but that's the glory of his birthday special. He gets to tell us a little bit about his topic, the topic of his choosing. And if you don't know what we're talking about in our senior years of undergraduate study, part of our history graduate, most uh, graduation requirements require you to do some kind of like master task to demonstrate the quote unquote skills that you've developed over four years. And this basically for a history major entailed us writing, what would you say, 30 to 35 page paper, if not more, um, Mine was 40. Yeah, yeah, so maybe it was right around there with citations in bib, I'd say, on the topic of your choosing. And this is as an undergraduate student with limited access to resources, archives, or anything. And it is a bit of a task because although you've written small papers, to dive into something super focused for that amount of time, it, it's it's an experience. So I'll tell you what I did later. But uh, Luke, what, you want to tell us a little bit about what you did for your paper, the topic we're going to be discussing a little bit and uh, whatever you want to talk about. It's your show. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when when they first had us write a prospectus about what we wanted to talk about, which would which would have been uh, the spring semester of junior year. Oh, that's right. Remember, they wanted us to do a lot of like research yep. over the summer. Over the summer, yeah. And so my, my prospectus, what I, what I first thought about doing was looking at the power of the presidency and how it expanded at times and also declined at other times throughout the course of. Yeah, uh, that would have been a big epic, but yeah. Uh, and that summer, that, that's just, it, it's too broad of a topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you can't manage that very well. Uh, I think that was the same year that the John Adams miniseries on HBO mm. came out. We're dating is, ourselves a little bit. We, yeah, we are a little 2012 bit. 2012. Oh, it came out in 08. So I guess I would have been pretty familiar with it by then. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the year I yeah. watched it because you yeah. told me about it. Yeah. I may that, I may have just started watching it, though, when I decided or to Or was that it. the book? I hadn't read the book yet. Yeah. I read the book when I started my paper. Anyhow. When it came out, yeah. You're good. 
2008, um, you're right. Well, wow. so I kind of got interested in, in uh, looking at the early republic and mm-hmm. how the president functioned in the early republic okay. and uh, a much different bureaucratic system than what we're familiar with certainly today and, and what kind of evolved over the 18th and 19th centuries. So looking throughout that and, and kind of thinking about the John Adams miniseries, that got me more and more interested in John Adams because I, I felt like he was very overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, when when you have contemporaries like what George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and uh, Madison, Madison and James Monroe to Hamilton Burr, Hamilton, all of them, it all it seemed to me that that Adams was always kind of put on on the back burner, mm-hmm. like even oh, to his yeah, wife too, who gets remembered for her role as a, uh, a strong female figure in the period. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, so that kind of is what really got me wanting to focus on him kind of to get to the point here, I wanted to focus on why basically that is. Why is he overlooked so often? Mm-hmm. And how did his decisions affect that? So I, I really go into depth about uh, the decisions that Adams made. Um, while I think in the long run, it was successful for the country. It, it was his own political suicide. Yes. Yeah. He just demolished his own political career. And I think, you know, it's worth noting before we get too into Adams. I mean, you know, I might cover Adams down the road from a great mind perspective. This is, we're looking at the issues of the Adams administration. Maybe we won't, maybe we will. But, uh, you know, I think Adams had the hardest job there was. Being the first president, you got to do whatever the fuck you wanted. Being John uh, Adams meant that you had to live in the shadow of America's first and questionably greatest president, depending on who you ask. Right. And y- you had to, to adapt a job that was already yep. built and people respected it the way it was. And anything you did too far was going to get pulled back by your opponents. And anything you did too far enough, you were going to get criticized by your allies. So Adams is on a tightrope of lunacy in a way. So Adams had to hold it all together. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, and I, I talk about this in the paper too, succeeding Washington was not easy. Like that is a tall task. Washington basically could have done whatever he wanted. And sure, we, we have checks and balances and, and the separation of the powers and everything, but, but nobody was going to oppose Washington. No, and that's what makes Washington one of the greatest presidents in history yes. is that he didn't push it too far right. and that he stepped down. We, we've said this before, you know, but, but Adams doesn't have that luxury. The, the only thing of Washington's presidency that, that was almost universally opposed was the, was the Jay Treaty. The Jay Treaty was really the only thing that was unpopular during his administration. And, and that was, that was, I mean, it's only speculation whether or not that that, I don't think it was, but that, that could have been something that contributed to Washington's decision to retire after eight years. I I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's. I love the Hamilton lyric, which is that he gets, you know, it gets to, he gets to, the country cannot live him. Uh, It can, he can almost, there's a, a sentinel, a safeguard. Like, well, if we fuck this up too bad. Washington's still there. Yeah. Uh, he won't be there for long. But I yeah. think in Washington's mind, even it's like, well, I can I can still be here if things go go awry. And I can certainly see uh Hamilton taking that argument and saying, Well, if something bad happens, we have Washington here. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, well, uh Hamilton would definitely advance that kind of idea (laughs) and i think washington probably knew he couldn't die in office if he died in office that meant that the next person could serve until they died in office Mm -hmm. that he had to step down in a way 
-hmm. he had to show that this was not a lifelong position for the sake of democracy, for the sake of elected government, uh, and for the sake of not being too British. Right. Just my, just my, I have no real proof on that other than what I've, I've read about Washington, read yeah. from Washington, and just my opinions, which I'm entitled to fucking have on my own podcast, so. And there were, there was, um, there was a lot of false claims uh, in the election of 1796, and more so in the election of 1800, that Adams was going to return us to Great Britain, that we would go back on, under the throne, which was all just political lies from the Democratic Republicans yeah. And Hamilton, to an extent, had something to do with that. He might have been an industrialist, but he, you know, he might have been a northerner. He might have been a uh, urban dweller, but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. My God, he was democracy. He was the voice of. He was the voice of the revolution. He he was so <laughs> important to the establishment of American democracy, and and people sit here and act like he was a, a would be tyrant for. For what? And I, I know you're going to talk about this in your paper, the, the passage of the Alien Sedition Acts that, yeah. that, that he barely used. Uh, that and he didn't want to sign. He did not want to sign. Them. And only he did, did it because he, he felt he had to and political pressure. <laughs> and I don't think he censored a single personal attack. I don't believe he did. I, I believe I you're know. right. I haven't done the, the Adams research in a few years. I did it my first year teaching him, but... He respected pretty much everything for what it could be, but he was democracy through and through. Hamilton was the tyrant you needed to watch for. Mm-hmm. So, what? So, your paper. You're, you want to walk us through what what you discuss, what you want to talk about with it? Um, okay. So, through the paper, uh, I kind of touch on a, a, a smattering of issues that came up during Adams's uh, presidency. So that that's the Alien and Sedition Acts that that uh, that we had just mentioned, uh, the X Y Z affair. Which, which kind of blew up um, his foreign policy mm-hmm. and the Quasi War II, which really started t- at the very end of Washington's presidency and, and kind of torpedoed Adams's ability to uh, get a good start. And, and, yeah, and this is he's building up the Navy in this period and things like that too. So building and, up the Navy and then being labeled a warmonger for mm-hmm. it, and and he's saying, well, we're be- we're our merchant ships are being attacked by mm-hmm. uh, by French commanded pirate vessels mm-hmm. we we have to and then of course Jeff- or jefferson who has his own political ambitions really opposes every major major Absolutely. measure of adam's legislation uh, and, he's, and he's a francophile and he's francophile yeah but the other thing is it's not like jefferson would ever do that uh oh wait he totally <laughs> did uh in his presidency you, you know i was just listening to the jefferson episode the other day i, I not to sound egotistical but sometimes when people ask me questions about a show that I recorded, I have to go back and listen to hear what the fuck I said. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you. I guess that <laughs> did sound smart. Uh, but more importantly, it was like, oh, like I was like, wow, I said that. Wow, I said, <laughs> how much did I drink that day? Uh, whatever, no. So anyway, so it looks like basically what you did was you looked at three major issues of the Adams administration and and you're going to what evaluate uh, kind of just evaluate how their their consequences on the country and their consequences on Adams's political not necessarily his career because he was getting older in life anyway but the legacy that he left behind we talk about legacy and footprint a lot in the show yeah, yeah, yeah. and definitely being overshadowed by his contemporaries 
and being a being a single term president certainly didn't advance his legacy. No, um, I, I think he's more popular as a revolutionary figure than he is as a a president and a statesman. Three. So, but anyway, so Luke, what do you want to talk to us about John Adams? Anything you want to stands out to you? Anything you want to say? I mean, it's your show. You can say whatever you want about John Adams. You can praise John Adams. You could. It is whatever you want. Oh well, I I will definitely sit here and praise John Adams. Uh, I think. Um, Oh, um, Adams's cabinet, too. So he kept over pretty much everybody from the Washington cabinet. And and that includes... That Knox? Is Knox still in it at that point? No, Knox was, was gone by that point. Okay, okay. So that would be... Uh, the, the members of Washington's cabinet that carried over in the Adams administration included Secretary of State Timothy Pickering, oh, yeah. uh, Secretary of War James McHenry, Secretary okay. of the Treasury Oliver Wolcott, Jr., and Attorney General Charles Lee. And um, pretty much all of them um, <laughs> were not that fond of Adams. No, no. Uh, they, uh, they had their own political ambitions. There's some discussion, too, as to why they stayed on. If, if they didn't like him, then why, why, first of all, why did he keep them? And why did they stay there anyway? And um, at that time, in, in, the early, in the late 18th century, civil service was not looked on as a, as a prestigious Oh no! Um, career choice. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was just uh, kind of looked down, oh, and yeah. so the difficulty of finding someone, the difficulty of finding someone qualified, oh. and I think uh, another thing that played into it too was just the just John Adams's idea of wanting a um, kind of con- a, a continuation of the George Washington presidency and and the abilities that that gave him. But that being said, none of them were all. They were not that fond of him. A, a functioning cabinet can be extremely effective in assisting the president, but an underachieving one can undermine every decision he makes. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, well, even just a bad, le- bad, weak leaders running your machine for you—it's it, a danger. I mean, I think we saw that in some of the early years of Lincoln's cabinet as well. Yeah, and it wasn't until really that um, a fellow uh, man from Massachusetts, Elbridge Gerry, told Adams that you have members in your cabinet that are more loyal to others outside the administration than they are to you. Wait, why do I know that name? Is that gerrymandering? That is gerrymandering, yes. Gerrymandering from Boston, yes. right? Yeah. Yes, yes. But he, it, his last name is Gary, but we call it gerrymandering. Oh, really? I yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he really indicated uh, that Pickering was more loyal to outsiders than than to those within the administration. I mean, he, yeah. And then Adams only won election by three electoral votes. Oh, yeah. Which um, gave Jefferson all the political uh, clout he needed to realize, hey, if I oppose everything Adams does, maybe I'll get elected in four years. And he ultimately yeah. does. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And even if it wasn't directly, it was through, through you know, the press, et cetera, other people doing it for him. But yes, Jefferson was at the top of that machine for sure. So you brought up a few other things, the Alien and Sedition Acts, the XYZ Affair, and the the quasi-war. So. Um, do you want to talk about those at all or how they impacted Adams' uh, administration or anything that you want to say about that? Uh, the XYZ affair is pretty interesting because I think it's, it's not very well known. And it's also it's really a, a fascinating um, issue of, uh, of, of, early, of the early republic and, and kind of things that we had to overcome, especially against a, a, a superior foe So seven, in late 1797. Adams had sent Charles Pinckney, 
John Marshall and Average Gary to go to Paris to work out these issues that had result that were resulting from the quasi and and other other things, uh, shipping shipping merchants and shipping issues, and, and whether or not American ships go, go go into these ports and everything. So the Adams administration really wanted to work that out. So he sent those three to Paris, but they were kept waiting for several days mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. an audience with French Foreign Minister and Zach. You can talk a little bit more about him. Oh, um, Talleyrand, Maurice de Talleyrand. Charles, yeah. Charles Maurice de Talleyrand. Yes, he's a he's a guy. I mean, to talk about him now would be. Probably confusing even for me, but yes. The American diplomats waited for about a week uh, in Paris, uh, waiting for a, a meeting with him. And after meeting, after waiting for, for that long of time, they were finally granted a 15-minute audience with him. How generous. Yes, how generous. They were yes. sent uh, across the Atlantic, which was not an easy travel in those days. And then they waited in Paris for another week to resolve these issues. So following the meeting with Talleyrand, the 15-minute meeting, Pinckney, Marshall, and Gary met with Talleyrand's deputies. So yeah, in, in the XYZ affair, that's going to be like the leading thing that causes the quasi-war, right? Okay, okay, so we're and, like 1798 yeah. on Adams. Okay. And, okay. and so the French, the French, um, I mean, their their motives were clear, oh, okay. and it well, backfired on them. Well, and if my, while all that was happening, a Federalist Congress passes through the Alien and Sedition Acts, do they not? I mean, this is mm-hmm. all happening in 1798. Yeah, yeah. French like, aggression yeah. in the Caribbean and seizure of American per- merchants prompted the Federalists in Congress uh, to vote affirmatively for the Alien and Sedition Acts. So how did the Alien and Sedition Acts then factor into your paper? I mean, these are past what? During the quasi-war, the official, like, labeled quasi-war. So we're talking mm-hmm. like 1798. The, the XYZ affairs happening, the, the next two years will be dominated by the quasi-war with France, and the Alien and Sedition Acts get passed almost at the same time, I mean, same year, and these allow, what, the Adams administration to get rid of uh, aliens uh, to the... Yes. Know, um, export French potential enemies uh, in this war with France and really give them power over censorship yeah. of the press and, so, and shit like that, right? So Adams uh, didn't ask for these. He didn't encourage for them, uh, but Congress passed them. Um, and in, in his memoirs, actually, Adams ended up writing, I knew there was needed enough, and therefore I consented to them. So he kind of, he, he didn't want them, mm-hmm. but he knew that there was a need for them, which is why he signed them. And the Alien Act was not just one act. The Alien Act was actually three different bills. Mm-hmm. That we now refer yes, it's to like four in total with the with the yeah. Act. There, yeah. There's the Alien Act, the Alien Enemies Act, and the Naturalization Act. And the Naturalization oh. Act increased the required period of residency to qualify for American citizenship from four years to fourteen years. So, so it's really just redefining citizenship. It's not really yeah tackling uh, the Alien Act. Granted, the president legal authority to banish any foreigner whom he considered to be dangerous. Jefferson scrutinized them as laws worthy of the ninth century. Jefferson and other Republicans (laughs) imagined Adams expelling Frenchmen and other foreigners by the boatload. And this is, I mean, immigrants are going to swell over to Jefferson in this period like crazy then. And there is a fairly large Huguenot population in areas like Philadelphia and New York, as far as I know. But then uh, this is where we get Jefferson's, what, and Madison's Virginia and Kentucky resolutions in response to these alien sedition acts, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and of course, their moots, their their worries were moot by this point. even at the urging of Timothy Pickering, Adams didn't deport a single person. 
with the authority granted to him by the Alien and Sedition Acts. So it's all smoke and mirrors by his political rivals. It sounds like every single thing that John Adams did was for the benefit and security of a, mm -hmm. of, of a, of a young nation mm -hmm. who was still being defined. And it seemed like it was really just, it, it almost seems like the more you talk about it, that the Adams presidency was one, it was just a, 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 a punching bag presidency. That is to say, his political enemies were attacking everything he could. That's something yeah. that Washington never had to deal with. Really, Jefferson didn't have to deal with it as much either. Yeah. Uh, you know, Madison, Monroe, not near as much. Um, yeah. uh, you're, they're, they're playing on the irrational fear mm. of foreigners entering the United States. Oh, oh yeah. Of, of foreigners attacking Deals. American ships oh, and American oh, yeah. merchants. And, um, and that just... Uh, certainly, yes, they were attacking American merchant ships, but there was no threat to the American Republic from within. Right. No. And that's really what we're really hitting home mm. is that there was this threat. Uh, so he's he's just playing on this irrational fear. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's move to like general appraisal. I mean, I'm not asking you to rate John Adams, but I mean, all in all, in your in your paper, because you know, you said I talk about mine too, just a little bit. You know, how does Adams fare out in the end? Um, and it's fun for us, but it's weird to go back and look at our college papers, listeners. So please bear with us that that it's been too long, uh, almost ten years since we wrote these papers, and you know, it's been us going back and looking at much younger versions, much much less mature versions of ourselves, and saying. <laughs> I see what you were trying to do there, uh, and, and I respect you for it. But what were your ultimate conclusions, and do you still agree with them today? Um, God, like, going back and just reading through this, I'm like, this is just, like, I can't believe I wrote that. This is just garbage. <laughs> Amazing how we grow up. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm thinking of, and this is just the, the perfectionist in me. I, I just sit here reading this. I'm like, there's so many better ways that I could phrase this. Well, at the time, it didn't seem like. So, uh, yeah. So what was like, your, your ultimate conclusion? Uh, the neutrality that Adams had embraced and had early on secured bipartisan support ended up devouring his presidency. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. He sought to continue Washington's trend of appeasing both sides of the aisle. Washington was successful at this political strategy because of who he was, really. While the Jay Treaty had become an important piece of international legislation, it was evident that Washington's political design was beginning to crumble under the weight of party politics. This Adams diplomacy was still a success. Despite opposition from his party, a cabinet that was more loyal to a conniving outsider, a disgusted vice president, and the threat of war against superior foes like Great Britain and France, he was still able to secure peace and therefore and the deserves, deserves the respect that he doesn't get. Interesting. So despite many follies, you, you still think that, that he deserves it. Now, I, I find myself, and I think it's a great way to wrap up season two, I find myself desperately wanting to squeeze him into season three as our revolutionary figure it gets harder and harder to do the same people over and over again because so much of their story starts to overlap but they all contribute in such different ways so that's that's very interesting so anything else you want to say about john adams uh he's he's my personal idol oh really he's, is he oh, your yeah. favorite president oh yes yeah oh really oh, yeah cool. well that's the kind of person you should chat about them for for your birthday special uh but i, I appreciate you being willing to go back into your paper because like I said, I, I don't even know if I wanted to do this, you know. <laughs> it's it was a, a weird fun idea. Like, like when you had texted me and said, why don't we talk about our theses? I was like, oh, that's brilliant. We got to do it. it. It would be fun. It, but it is it is hard for us to go back and see what we were like as, as much 
less mature writers and yeah you, you, like, just, like, you just grow as you teach and things like that 10 years um, ago yeah i mean i told my kids that today i was like well i was they have to write a method section in this big essay they have to write as part of the program and methods is basically historiography but it's also the primary sources too so it's really just the the beginning of any paper you'd write in grad school where you talk about the sources you use and how they factor into your paper before you dive into the actual essay you're going to write uh you know that every book does that too you know kind of like a forward type thing and i was like i was going to print out one of mine and then the more i read it the more i hated myself because i did it you know and it's like even from grad school like look okay, okay i did that but like i just I'm like, like i'm sitting here i'm relying on three sources and i tell them you must have at least six primary sources and i'm like fuck answer them that one you know like oh i totally skirted by on that one so um i actually wrote heavily about this in grad school too but for my uh, undergraduate thesis i wrote about the treaty of amiens which was a uh, peace treaty in the midst of the napoleonic wars when napoleon was still i think what first consul or whatever the fuck he was i don't know uh and from march 1802 to may 1803 and it's between britain and napoleonic france and i i, I laugh rest in peace uh to the professor who who guided us through this process he's no longer with us but which i just found out tonight just to be clear which was really sad <laughs> really freaking sad <laughs> but still uh luke, luke pissed in my cheerios but still um he was a good guy he was a great guy he was one a good guy one of the best uh absolutely but he looked at me dead in the eyes and said europe how are you gonna get any sources <laughs> I was like, I have a treaty, I have letters, I have diaries, I have memoirs, I'm ready to go. Oh. And I decided to cover this stupid little peace treaty for what it really was. <laughs> so, so in the end, and sorry if you can hear the dog barking, she might be barking in the background. Uh, but I covered the Treaty of Amiens, which was a peace treaty between Britain and France for a uh, little more than a year. It did very little basic things like returning Dutch territories that were captured by the British to the Batvian Republic, I should say. Uh, it returned them to the Dutch, which was now under the firm control of Napoleon. And, and you, you know, it was a bunch of other colonial BS. And then there was one big issue, the island of Malta. And that's kind of what I hinged on, was Article 10 of this treaty and what to do with the island of Malta. I can't hear her. Oh, well, that's I good. can now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, it happens. It happens. Anyway, so... This treaty, it's it's in the pit interlude in the Napoleonic Wars, for anybody who knows what I'm talking about, during the Henry Addington ministry and his chief minister, uh, his foreign minister is Lord Hawkesbury, who will become Lord Liverpool, who will become prime minister down the road. And Charles Cornwallis, the very man who surrendered at Yorktown, was sent as plenipotentiary to negotiate the Treaty of Amiens with figures like Joseph Bonaparte and, of course, the man Luke mentioned, Charles Maurice de Talleyrand, who is basically uh, the, the John Adams series is the best. Uh, do not mistake it. Talleyrand is the French government. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's so <laughs> absolutely true. Uh, he survived. He'd be a great mind to cover because just by the fact that he survived. I mean, not only did he yeah. run so many French states, but he survived monarchs and republics and despots and somehow didn't lose his head in the French Revolution. Monarchs, revolutions, and republics. He, he lived through them all. So in the end, I looked at the, the, the merits of this treaty, which was, what was the real purpose behind the Treaty of Amiens? Did either side, Napoleonic France or Great Britain, truly believe this was going to be a lasting peace? And I came to the conclusion, no. Because, and like other historians have said, quote, the Treaty of Amiens was in no way fitted to bring about or facilitate general peace. And the real issue came down to the, quote, case for the retention of Malta. No. Okay. So in short, was that 
whoever controlled the idea was whoever controlled Malta could command and control the Mediterranean trade in this period. And the, the, the general idea was that Britain promised to give back Malta, to relinquish control of Malta to the Knights of St. John under the protection of the Russian government. Knowing full well, Napoleon took that as, and now I can go get it once Britain leaves. And Britain outright refused to leave. It led to one of uh, Napoleon's most famous moments where he, uh, his famous political tirade, where he slammed the table, flipped the table, slams the chairs everywhere. Cartooned, cartoons have captured it as the ambassador, Charles Whitworth, you know, witnessed it. And the man they said is Charles Whitworth. And those are the diaries that I really focus on. But I don't want to get too much into mine. Uh, but this period, 1802 to 1803, I mean, for the first time since the French Revolution broke out, and the, the execution of the monarchs, Brits are traveling to Paris, Parisians are traveling to London, there's a communication exchange, and really it came down to two simple things. It really, for me, it was why did both sides do this, and did either sides really see it as lasting peace? And it, it came down to two very simple points. Britain wanted trade reunited on the continent. Oh, here comes my dog. He scared me, Jack. Um, hi. Hello, hello, come here. This is my dog. Hi, Latte. Yes, sorry. To two very simple issues. Uh, Britain wanted uh, to reignite trade on the continent that was now 50% controlled by Napoleon Bonaparte, and Napoleon wanted time to plot the impossible, uh, something that so few people have been able to do in history, invade the British Isles by sea. Uh, many have tried, many have failed. And it is further proven by this uh, idea that it is this period where he tries to reignite his new world empire, and after that fails, uh, he sells Louisiana for 60 cents an acre to Thomas Jefferson. Uh, $15 million, which is enough of a war chest to kind of build up a navy, which of course will all sink to the bottom of the sea at the Battle of Trafalgar. But that's neither <laughs> here nor there because uh, during this period, basically, it, I, it kind of amounted to a little more than an armistice. And I've always loved studying the Treaty of Amiens as, as, a, as a peace treaty, an example of, of what peace did. Uh, but the greatest moment for me as a student in this was when the person orchestrating the pre thesis presentations, uh, you remember we had to do like a whole presentation and stand yeah. there and talk to people who had questions. Yeah. I sent her my, my title of my paper, which was The Vanity of Peace. Uh, you know, and I don't remember the subtitle anymore, but I, I, I will always remember this moment where she emailed me back. She's like, oh, okay, can I get a footnote for that? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, where'd you get that title? I was like, I came up with it. She's like, damn, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, because I was looking at the superficial realities of this peace treaty, and I was like, ooh, that's that's good. I love that. Yes, my title got uh, critiqued for being plagiarized, but it was just my own original work, which is, I guess, that I've always liked writing a little bit. Uh, so the vanity of peace, you know, in, in the end, it was both sides playing different stall tactics. Uh, and I always felt bad for the guy who was on the ground, Charles Whitworth, who basically was sent there to try and keep peace that was never meant to be kept. Pretty much very few historians have covered the Treaty of Elmio, normally a footnote in the Napoleonic Wars. But uh, in reality, you know, it's a pretty interesting case study. So that, that's what I studied. I don't know if you have anything you want to say or any questions you've had or anything like that. Um, I don't require questions, Luke. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, good. <laughs> Your face system. But it did raise the question to me, do, do you think peace is ever really actually about peace? Or is there always some ulterior motive on both sides? Ooh, that's a good question. It is. I, I kind of want to pose it to the whole group someday, too. I... There's always, I think, ulterior motives that you can find. I think so. So, I, so I, I'm tempted to answer that there are always... There's always something behind the curtain. I, I always... You know, in the early modern period, I always see most peace treaties as little more than a pragmatic concession. Yeah. To stall. I mean, the Peace of Augsburg, religious toleration until we can't... Don't have to anymore... Uh, the Peace of Granada with Isabella. I just think there are countless examples. But then again, I sit here and think, 
The Peace of Paris of 1763 was meant to be a lasting peace uh, in the Americas. The Peace of Paris of 83 did pretty much lead to lasting peace, you know, and an establishment of American states. So maybe sometimes there are, but I think that might be, have, to, have to be a question we put to the whole group because I'm interested to hear Colin and Kelly's thoughts with the two. So maybe someday we'll find ourselves talking about this, but I don't know. Most peace treaters, most peace treaters, treaties seem like a superficial thing to me. There was something, though, how oh, I can't, I'm not going to be able to find it. It was in one of my footnotes. Uh, something that, like, the Treaty of Paris, the the only the only uh, provision of the Treaty of Paris that is still on the books and is respected by both countries is Britain recognizes the United States. Oh, really? Yeah. I know that. that makes yeah. sense, though. Yeah, because, I mean, most of it would have addressed treaties and borders and things like that. They were undone by later conventions and land purchases. Huh. Interesting. Fun. So John Adams' legacy. Love it. Well, that's it. If you enjoyed this episode of Drinks with Great Meds in History, as Luke and I meandered through our, our, our gra undergraduate uh, history thesis uh, papers, uh, senior thesis uh, studies, you know, then uh, I don't know what the fuck I was saying. Then you will love the fun content that we put out weekly on the DGMH Patreon page. Their listeners can get access to all sorts of document discussions, psychology chats, Shots bonus BS shit sessions. Oh, I've got to change that, right? Shots bonus BS shit fuck sessions and pre-game content. Luke and I had a good time pre-gaming tonight. Uh, just follow the link in the show notes to support the show and get access to even more great content. As we wrap up this second season of DGMH, be sure to join the DGMH Facebook group and follow the show on Instagram at Great Minds in History underscore podcast to join in on all sorts of fun chats about your favorite great minds and more. If you love the show, then please consider leaving DGMH a great, hopefully five-star review wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Uh, it really supposedly kind of somehow maybe might eventually help. Uh, so please go and do it. So Luke, there's only one question left. What are you doing a shot of tonight? Um, American honey, uh, as always. Or are you going to ask me what I'm doing a shot of tonight? What are you doing a shot of? Um, American honey. Oh, very nice. So uh, that's my Luke toss, my nod to Luke franchise. Oh, you don't even have it. Luke, what the fuck? <laughs> the true Luke Franchuk thing here, ladies and gentlemen, my listeners, is uh, is that he's never prepared for the shot, even though we do a shot every episode. And, and it's not like we do these shows uh, at a moment's notice either. Like, no. we, we know it's coming. Yep, 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 yep. And we know for you, at least, what you're going to drink. Uh, oh, fuck. Ready to go? No, I can't get the bottle open. Oh, my. Three hours later. Okay, we're good. Well, that's it. After this episode, be sure to stick around and listen to a trailer for a fantastic new show that I'm listening to by a fellow podcaster, Eric Erickson, called The Open Highway. Described as, quote, like the old days when we would sit down at a roadside diner and share a cup of coffee with a fellow traveler. And that's exactly what it's like to listen to this great new podcast. So be sure to listen to the uh, trailer after after the cheers. Um, just a shout out to a fellow podcaster. So tonight we raise a glass, though, to you, Luke Franchuk, our Yinzer with the England our apple pie patriot, who I'm glad to do a shot of American honey with, our shots regular guy. You've been with me the longest, and I look forward to many, many, many more rounds of shots with you, my friend. Cheers. Uh, so do Isaac. Cheers. Oh, I forgot how good that is. Oh, delicious. It is good. Ah, it's so good. Too. Yeah. I mean, I'm a wild turkey fan. I love American honey. Yeah, but I mean, it's I like favorite. regular wild turkey, too. Yeah. But I mean, this is, this is yeah. really good. Exceptional smooth liqueur blended with pure honey and bourbon whiskey. 
It's not as strong as I thought. Oh, no. No, it's 70 proof. Never mind. 71 proof. <laughs> It'll fuck you up, people. Somebody Pretty does. Fast. Yes. Yep. So, well, cheers. Cheers. Are you a fan of in-depth conversations on a wide variety of subjects? Then you need to head out on the open highway. I'm Eric Erickson. I bring my crazy career and interests in a variety of subjects to the show. And since I seem to know, well, a little bit about everything, it's just enough to get me into trouble. The open highway is like going on a road trip and meeting all different sorts of people. It's that old idea of sitting at that diner counter, having coffee, and talking with folks with completely different backgrounds. One episode might be a political operative, the next a professional wrestler, and the next a philosopher. Just having good old-fashioned conversation. If it's interesting to me, I'm sure it'll be interesting to you too. The Open Highway. New episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Get them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Huzzah! Mm. A fucking zah.